we here at Rocky Mountain Red-Handed want to share a stress warning with you. Our cases and stories involve mental illness, sexual assault, suicide, gun violence, and emotional trauma. Please listen with care. If you or someone you know is suffering in the U.S., please reach out to 988, the Suicide and Crisis Lifeline. Hey! Hey everyone, Mel and Beck here. We just wanted to drop in and remind you to follow us on our social medias. So our Instagram and our Facebook are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed, and our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. Yeah, so go and check out our social medias. We always post great pics that have to do with our uh, cases, case notes, anything that we find interesting, we share with you guys. Also, Mel, what's that email address? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us in your case recommendations. We want to know about local cases in your community and how they have affected your towns. So hit us up. Let us know of, of the cases you want to hear in the Rocky Mountains. The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Melanie, here with my dear friend Becky. The stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. Let's dive in to Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Good morning, Becky. How good, are you today? Good morning, Mel. How are you? I'm doing good. So today, our story, we're going to talk about teachers. So did you have any teachers in your life that really affected you? Oh, my goodness. Yes. Okay. Shout out to Northridge Elementary. Woo-woo. I had some amazing teachers, but I have to say the teacher that stuck out the most was my fourth grade teacher, Mr. Andrus. And he helped me to just love to read. So, yes, Mr. Andrus, thank you so much. Oh, that's awesome. Well, I had all amazing teachers as well. Um, As we were talking about this before, my teacher that really stuck out to me was actually a few of my dance teachers. One in particular, Val, just taught me so much about hard work and dedication and keeping to it. And I learned so much through her and all my other dance teachers as well. So that's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. Today's case we are going to share with you um, is about a man who made a big impact on his community. He was a teacher, an entrepreneur, and a wonderful father and husband. Yet one day he vanished. This is the story of Brad Bisbon. West Yellowstone is a postcard-ready little resort town that is known as the gateway to Yellowstone National Park. It's located on the southern border of Montana, just three miles to Wyoming and six miles to Idaho. West Yellowstone is located literally minutes to the entrance of Yellowstone National Park, which we have already discussed in the podcast. Yes, Yes. we have. Mm -hmm. So you could literally walk to the entrance in less than 10 minutes. 
It's a beautiful little town with lots of fun shops, restaurants, and places to stay for the million-plus tourists who make West Yellowstone their home away from home during their vacations. So while it is really busy throughout the summer months, things usually slow down quite a bit around West Yellowstone during the off-season, the cold winter months. Instead of the crowds of vacationers, the town is left to the 1,200 or so full-time residents. Most of these residents work in the service industry, supporting the town's tourism. One of these West Yellowstone locals was Brad Bisbin. Brad was just 38 years old in 1990 and had made a nice life for himself and his family. Brad was happily married to Rini and had four children. Brad and Rini owned and ran a restaurant in West Yellowstone, and he also worked as a gym teacher at West Yellowstone Junior and Senior High School. He loved working with the students and coaching basketball. Brad was known for his practical jokes and was very active in the community. He was a dedicated husband and father to his family. This simple, happy life came to an end on the morning of Friday, November 9th, 1990. Brad received his telephone call from a good friend, Larry Moore. Larry and his wife, Shelly, were family friends of the Brisbane's. The men and their wives were social and would occasionally spend time together. Brad and Shelly worked together at West Yellowstone High. Shelly coached the girls' basketball team while Brad coached the boys' basketball team. So Brad went to the school that Friday morning to let his principal know that he needed the day off to help a friend in an emergency. The principal arranged a last-minute substitute to cover Brad's PE classes. Brad prepared to leave the school to make a 90-minute drive to nearby Belgrade, Montana to help his friend Larry. Brad's son actually saw him at the school before he left that day. He told his son that he would see him that evening at dinner and told him to have a good day, and off he went. Rini Brisbane, Brad's wife, later testified Brad had talked to her in the morning about his plans for the day. Larry Moore had called Brad and asked for a favor. You see, Moore had just sold his pickup truck and camper at a truck stop in Belgrade called Bears Truck Stop. Moore needed a ride back home to his home there in West Yellowstone, and Brad did not return that evening for dinner with his family. So his family contacted the police when Brad did not come home that night, and the West Yellowstone Police Department started contacting those who had interacted with Brad shortly before he had disappeared. Yeah, Larry Moore was one of those friends that was contacted. Larry told the police that he met with his friend Brad for lunch on that Friday afternoon. Larry told police that Brad was intoxicated and was acting very odd. He said his friend was depressed and was complaining about his life. Yeah, he said he was sick and tired of his life, his family, his wife, his job, and all of his responsibilities. Then... Brad dropped a bombshell on his friend. He said he was leaving and starting a new life. So this is all according to what Larry told the police. Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, um, Larry said that Brad had asked to borrow some money and then left his friend at the truck stop. Moore said he walked out to the parking lot and met a beautiful woman in a red sports car with Washington State license plates. This is kind of sounding like a fantasy. I don't think like beautiful women sit in red sports cars at truck stops. In the parking lot, yeah. yes. So uh, Larry said that Brad popped in the car and off he drove to start his new life. Larry Moore was the last person to see Brad Bisman before his so-called disappearance. 
During their investigation, led by West Yellowstone Chief of Police William Pronovost, the investigators came across an interesting connection between Larry and Shelley Moore and Brad and Rini Brisbane. So though the two couples were friends and would spend time together, the rumor around town was that Brad Brisbane and Shelley Moore were having an affair. Shelley Moore and Rini Brisbane denied any truth to the rumor, but Larry Moore was deeply disturbed by this accusation. Yeah, in fact, just two days before Brad's disappearance, Larry and Shelley Moore separated and the two were headed for divorce. Shelley reported that her husband was losing touch with reality. Larry Moore was furious about this rumor and was so enraged that Shelley believed it was possible that he had hurt Brad. Yeah, so police requested a good look at his truck and camper that he had driven to Belgrade the day that Brad disappeared. Yeah, he ended up not selling it that day, obviously, too. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. The investigators found the vehicle to be in near-perfect condition. It was immaculate, with not even a speck of dust or dirt to be found, which is weird. Mm -hmm. Normally, there's at least something going on, so it looked like it had been cleaned, it sounds like. That's why my house has a layer of dust, is that I'm completely innocent. Just in case. (laughs) So it was obvious that the trucking camper had been thoroughly deep cleaned. All was perfect except for at several newly patched holes found in the camper floor and through the bed of the truck. These holes looked to be bullet holes. Upon further examination, the investigators found a bullet fragment from a 357 Magnum pistol embedded in the truck bed. They also discovered some various blood splatter on the outside steps of the camper. It almost sounds to me that it was deep clean on the inside, and he didn't think about the outside. So when Moore was questioned about this curious find, he had an answer all ready for the cops. Of course he did. Yes. Mm -hmm. During his last camping trip, he said he saw a rat in the camper. He said he pulled out the pistol and tried to shoot the rodent several times. Melly, do you or Mike ever use a handgun to kill rodents around your home? You know, I can't <laughs> say that we've ever done that before. That's an interesting choice. Yeah, I don't think that sounds like a likely story. Yes, definitely. So the forensic team found one more hidden gem in the camper. Hanging in the windows were cream-colored curtains across the windows. Well, on one of these curtains, the investigators noticed a tiny piece of what looked to be tissue. The window coverings were removed and taken up to the Montana State Crime Lab in Missoula. The investigators would need to wait to hear the results, and so will we. Let's go to our first sponsor break. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my balance of nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my balance of nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's balance of nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you so much to our sponsors. So Brad's family and friends waited and prayed each day to hear from Brad. The days dragged on, and after a few weeks, a mysterious letter arrived. The letter was from Brad. Postmark from Spokane, Brad wrote, quote, I've decided to start a new life for myself. 
I had to make a clean break from everyone and everything to make this work. It just seemed to be the only way out for me. Fortunately, I have a wonderful woman to help me. Brad Brisbane said that he was alive and well and living happily in Washington State. A few days after receiving the first letter, Larry Moore received a letter from Brad. It read, Dear Larry, I would like you to drop the necessary papers that will give Rini complete control of our business. Also, all personal property that we own. I want her to have everything. I am starting a new life with a new person. This is a very difficult time for a lot of people. Like my mom used to say, though, 100 years from now, it won't matter. Yeah, so both of the letters were turned over to investigators. A few things about the letters didn't quite sit right with the police. So, for example, Brad's wife's name, Rini, was misspelled in one of the letters. And that seems weird to not know how to spell your wife's name. I would agree with that, yeah. The letters were examined by the Montana Crime Lab and were treated with a chemical called ninhydrin. This chemical reacts to the amino acids in our fingerprints and can identify hidden evidence. Several fingerprints were detected, but none matching Brad Brisbane or Larry Moore. And this is so cool that the chemical will react with that and be able to show fingerprints. It's amazing what science can do. Yay for science. Serious. Exactly. The letters were then turned over to be analyzed by Carl Schaffenberger, a forensic document examiner. He photographed the letters and found both to be typed by the same typewriter on inexpensive paper. The typewriter used was showing no defects. So if you remember back to our Adolf Kors episode, there was the one letter that was off in the letter that was written to them. Um, Sometimes the typewriters have defects that can show proof of which typewriter was used, but this one showed none. Okay, awesome. The signature was the only portion of the document that was handwritten But that simple signature held a lot of details. So when we usually sign our name, our hand is usually pretty relaxed. It's our muscle memory that does the work without us thinking. Um, That's the sign of a true signature. I never thought about that. But yeah, when you do it, your hand is loose. It's it's not controlled. But Mm -hmm. the times that I've tried to forge my mom's signature. (laughs) Sorry, mom. um, I am very like tense about it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. The signature found on the letters were written slowly and with a labored hand. It was full of tremors, which, you know, shows the tenseness and that focused effort, which is a telltale sign Definitely. of a fake signature. Yeah. They also could be caused by some kind of disease, drug use, or stress. The, the tremors. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Carl Schaffenberger, the forensic document examiner, used a greeting card that Brad wrote and signed shortly before he disappeared as a comparison for the signature found on his letters from Washington State. So on this greeting card that they used, Brad's handwriting was blocky and each letter was written in uppercase. This handwriting did not look anything like the handwriting on the letters that were sent after his disappearance. Yeah, so, okay, we just learned how to forge a signature. There you go. That's amazing. Be relaxed about Mm -hmm. it. Yep. So after the completion of the analysis, Mr. Schaffenberger stated, quote, this is a drawing of somebody's signature. That letter was not signed by Brad Bisman. And what a great way to put it. It's a drawing of a signature. Yeah. So obviously the question at this point that everyone's asking is who sent these letters? Mm -hmm. So let's get back to that forensic evidence. Remember, a small piece of tissue was found hanging from the curtain. 
The curtain was removed from the Moore's camper and was taken up to the Montana State Crime Lab in Missoula for analysis. After extensive testing, the lab was able to identify the tissue as human muscle. Also, the lab was able to identify the blood spatter on the steps leading into the camper that it was not from a rat, surprise, surprise, as Moore's (laughs) story suggested, but was a mixture of human blood and muscle tissue cells. And again, this is so cool that science can say this is from a rat, not a human. Mm -hmm. I think that's amazing. Yeah, and even to go further to identify what part of the body the the tissue or the, the blood sample is from. That's so interesting. So the investigators wanted to be certain of their findings, so they sent the forensic evidence to a neuropathologist, Dr. Mark Cullen, who is based out of Ohio. Um, He agreed with the findings and identified the sample as part of the cerebellum, which is the human brainstem. Hmm. The cerebellum is located in the back of your head, just above where your spinal cord connects to your brain, you know, that tender part in the back of your head. The cerebellum actually means, quote, little brain in Latin. The cerebellum is only about 10% of your brain in size, but it holds about half of the neurons in your entire body. It controls balance, coordination, movement, and motor skills. This includes the muscles in your heart. So this is so interesting. Finding this tissue in the blood spatter, we know that whoever it came from was dead. A human cannot survive without a functioning cerebellum. That is so interesting. So let's go back to the bullet holes and the bullet fragment found embedded in Moore's truck. So the ballistic specialist Lucian C. Hag examined the location of the bullet holes in the camper with the location of the brain tissue. So using a laser, the examiner followed the path of the bullet's trajectory. The laser trajectory showed that the shooter was firing from an upright standing position. The camper is a really small space, so we're dealing with just a few feet between the victim and the shooter. Yeah, so the victim was definitely lower to the floor. This could either be like laying, sitting, squatting, or like slumped down close to the floor of the camper. The bullet fragment retrieved from the truck bed had soft damage, which shows evidence that the bullet traveled through soft tissue of the human body. So the investigators knew that they needed to compare the forensic evidence with Brad's DNA, but he or his remains were nowhere to be found. We know that children get half of their DNA from their mother and the other half from their father. So by taking a DNA sample from a biological child, we can get a very accurate DNA analysis by comparing these DNA markers. Mm -hmm. So yeah, Brad had five living close DNA relatives, his mother and four children. Their DNA could be compared with the tissue evidence found in the camper. So we are going to get a little technical here, so kind of hold on as we talk about this, but using an RFLP test, they were able to isolate Brad's DNA. Now, through this test, which at the time was the most sophisticated available, the results proved that the tissue found in the camper was Brad's tissue. The brain tissue from the cerebellum was too small for the RFLP testing. The sample was about the size of a pinhead. Yeah. So the scientists amplified the sample by using a process called PCR, which a lot of people may be familiar with. It's very, very common. What this essentially does is build a bigger sample by duplicating the original. This is used a lot in forensic testing. 
The PCR test result proved that the brain tissue found in Larry Moore's camper did come from Brad Brisbane. So at this point, they know without a functioning cerebellum, they know that Brad is, mm-hmm. is deceased even though they don't have the body. The medical examiner ruled that Brad Brisbane's death was a homicide. We now know without a doubt Brad Brisbane is deceased. Brad did not abandon his wife and children, which I'm sure that they probably knew in their heart of hearts, but to have that confirmation and to not have that question hanging out over their family must have been a comfort. Yeah. I feel like having that hope of receiving those letters, even though deep down they knew it wasn't real, I feel like that hope is just that's a lot mm-hmm. to hold on to. Yeah. The letters mailed from Washington State did not come from Brad Brisbane. Someone was trying to lead us to believe that Brad was not dead, but who could that be? So we are going to take our last break to hear a word from our sponsors. Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Now, thank you again to our sponsors. So let's get back to it. Larry Moore was then arrested and charged with murder and tampering with evidence. This is a difficult charge when you do not have a body as, of course, you know, Brad's body had not been located at that time. Yeah. In fact, if convicted, this would be the first no body case in Montana state history. So no body cases can be pretty tricky for prosecutors. Getting a murder conviction is hard enough, but then throwing in the fact that they don't have the person's body can be very hard for a jury to convict. There's always that open question of like, this person could walk in the courtroom right now. Yeah. I feel like the evidence of the cerebellum though is pretty convincing to me at least. I agree. Um, So the defense can really lean heavily into the fact that they do not have complete and utter proof that the individual is dead. Um, How can the jury be really certain that the person isn't just going to walk through the door in Mm -hmm. the middle of court, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. In fact, the U.S. has only had, and this is crazy to me, it's only had 400 no-body trials. I wonder how many out of those got convictions. Do you know? I don't. That would be interesting. We'll look that up Mm -hmm. for you guys. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we know that prosecutors are not required to present a motive, but man, a jury likes to hear one. They want to know why. So what's your guess, Mel? What's what's the motive here? I mean, I definitely think it sounds like he was very jealous, right? There was this at least so-called rumor going around that his wife was cheating on him with Brad. And so to me, it sounds like a jealousy thing. Yeah. And, you know, and we don't know. And of course, we would never like assume that on, on Brad or Shelly, but you know, co-workers working together, spending those long, you know, days and evenings at games and supporting each other's teams. It's not uncommon for co-workers to become a little too close at times. Yeah, definitely. So mm-hmm. Larry Moore had blamed Brad for his separation from his wife. He really, truly believed the rumor that Brad and Shelley were having an affair. Yeah, which, you know, in, in support of him, that is very difficult. That jealousy can just eat away at a marriage and at a, at a person. Yeah, so. jealousy is a very strong motivator for mm-hmm. something like this, unfortunately. Yeah. 
So the jury trial began on October 22nd, 1992. So during his interview, Larry told police that he had called Brad at the high school and asked him for a ride. And so the two friends did meet at the diner inside Bear's truck stop. Prosecutors then presented Larry, somehow lured Brad to his camper. Once inside the camper, Brad was attacked. Yeah, the state believed Brad was on the floor and Larry stood over him and shot his friend using the 357 several times. So remember the laser pointer really showed that angle. So no one must have heard any gunshots due to the busy diesel engines idling around the truck stop. Truck stops can be very loud. When you get multiple diesels, it is really loud. Yeah, so it's not really surprising that nobody heard these. Mm -hmm. Larry Moore owned an excavating company in West Yellowstone, Montana, so he did have access to backhoes and other heavy equipment. So Moore called his shop and spoke to an employee about 1 p.m. that same day of Brad's so-called disappearance. The employee, Jerry Hillier, testified that Moore had asked him to, quote, warm up one of the backhoes and get it ready for more to use. Moore arrived at his shop and immediately left with the backhoe around 1.30 p.m. Hillier, who was the employee, saw the backhoe back at the shop at around 3 p.m., but testified that Moore didn't come back to the shop until about 5. So he dropped the backhoe off and then he wasn't back to the shop until for about two hours. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the prosecutor suggested that Moore could have hidden Brad's body anywhere around West Yellowstone without drawing attention. If you have heavy equipment, that body could be anywhere. Yeah. Um, and then what about the, the mysterious letters that arrived? Prosecutors believed that Moore tried to convince everyone that Brad had abandoned his family and started a new life with a new love in a new state. So Mel, what do you think about those letters? I mean, I think it's really interesting that Larry made up this very specific story Mm -hmm. about a woman, a beautiful woman with a fancy red car in the parking lot, picking him up and whisking him away to this new life. It's almost like that's what he wanted for himself. And he was kind of projecting that onto Brad. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. Like this, like specific details he gave is just wouldn't be normal if it was a true story. Yeah. I feel like when people make up lies, I feel like we've heard this a lot before. They make up too many details. It's too specific about what happened and mm -hmm. that's a telltale sign of them lying. Yeah. I would, I would totally agree with you. So yeah. So back to those letters. So authorities believe that Moore drove the long distance to Washington state about 450 miles to Spokane, and that he mailed the counterfeit letters from, quote-unquote, Brad. Which, that's pretty dedicated to drive mm -hmm. that long just to mail the letters so that they could have the right postmark on them. Yeah, he wanted that postmark. Mm -hmm. Evidence proves that Moore scrubbed the interior of the camper with battery acid, steam cleaned it, and removed all of the carpeting to hide the physical evidence left behind from Brad's murder. Wow. Dedicated battery acid. Wow. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. So, yet police were still able to find the microscopic evidence and the bolt holes left in the camper and the truck bed. Those forensic techs are amazing. During one of his interrogations with police, Moore made a big change to his story. He told investigators that he found Brad despondent in his camper the day of Brad's disappearance. 
That's a huge change. I love when these guys just completely change their stories. They know that it's not going their way. They know they're being caught mm-hmm. in lies. So they're like, let's try it this way instead. Yeah. And there's a telltale sign of a liar. But we have these huge changes. Yeah. So Moore said Brad had a gun and the two friends struggled over the weapon. While fighting for control, the gun went off and grazed Brad on the side of his head. Moore said that Brad calmed down and he asked for a drink of water. Moore left to go and get his friend a drink of water, and when he arrived back to the camper, Brad had disappeared. He was just gone. Moore said he thought he may have seen his friend getting on the interstate in a red car. I want to stop here because I think it's interesting... This story doesn't explain why the cerebellum tissue was Mm -hmm. there, right? They said, if that tissue is there, this person is no longer alive and this doesn't doesn't Mm -hmm. support that evidence. So first we have a rat being chased, you know, with a handgun. And now, you know, we have a friend, two friends fighting over a gun and just grazing ahead. And then all of a sudden Brad's gone. His story is kind of um, falling apart, I would say. Yeah. So the prosecution had science and the testimony of many different experts and witnesses to help support their theory of Brad's murder. Between document examiners, ballistic testing, and DNA experts, the Gallatin County jury deliberated for 14 hours over the course of two days. They found Larry Moore guilty of intentional homicide on November 17, 1992. The prosecution was able to prove that Brad Bisbon was deceased and that Larry Moore had ended his life. So Larry Moore was sentenced to 60 years in prison for deliberate homicide. He is the first person in Montana state history to be prosecuted and convicted without a body. It was also the first case in Montana state history to use DNA in a criminal case. Yeah, in 1995, two years after his murder conviction, Moore again found himself in a courtroom. He was charged with conspiring to build a bomb in prison with the intention of bombing the warden's office, Melanie. Yikes, that's scary. The state could have charged him with federal charges, but they wanted to bring peace to the Brisbane family and the community of West Yellowstone and bring Brad home so that he could rest in peace. Larry Moore had never shared the location of Brad's body. The authorities offered Larry Moore a deal. Take them to Brad's body and all federal charges would be dropped. Moore accepted the deal, which I have to say, I think it is really compassionate that they did that for the family and the community. Yeah, I agree. Mm -hmm. Moore did take the authorities to a nearby campground on the shores of the Gallatin River, where he had buried the murder weapon, which was a 357 Magnum pistol. Next, Moore led the authorities to a gravel pit just a few miles outside West Yellowstone near Hebgen Lake. There, Moore led the police to the body of his former friend, Brad Bisbon. Moore became pale as the body was unearthed and went and sat in a police car. He gave police no further detail about the crime and offered no reason for this betrayal of his friend. Brad's body confirmed what forensic science had led the authorities to believe. Brad died of bullet wounds in the head and the upper body. With this information and the body of Brad Brisbane located, authorities dropped all federal charges against Moore and agreed not to object to any parole opportunity in the future. Even after Larry Moore led the police to the murder weapon and Brad's body in the gravel pit, Moore did not fully confess to the crime. 
Yet years later, after being contacted by the producers of Forensic Files, Larry Moore wrote a letter fully confessing to the crime and expressing gratitude for the modern technology that led to his conviction. That's an interesting thing to give gratitude for. Well, and, and it's interesting that why would he, well, I guess it, it shows kind of the, his narcissistic personality. He wanted the attention from these producers of this famous television show, which we do love Forensic Files, but, you know, I don't know why he would not officially give his full story in court for the family, you know, and then to to express gratitude for the technology. Again, like you said, I think it's just that narcissism. He wanted the attention of the interview on Forensic Files. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So without the science that led to Larry Moore's conviction, Brad would still be a missing person. Larry Moore was rejected parole seven times between 1992 and 2020. Yet in May of 2020, after serving 28 years of a 60-year sentence, Larry Moore was granted parole. He was 73 years old. The Brisbane family was very unhappy with the parole board's decision, stating that Moore was not rehabilitated and did not express remorse for his actions. Moore would have been eligible for full release from prison in January 2023. He currently lives in Kalispell, Montana. Rini, Brad's wife, and their children have had to endure this tragic event in their lives. They were robbed of decades and decades of a present and loving father and husband. Brad will be remembered fondly by those who were blessed with his friendship and love. Okay, wow, this case is such a great example of um, law enforcement coming from different labs, different um, jurisdictions, working together and putting together this strong case for Brad's family. They really used all the resources that they had and a lot of them newer technology that mm -hmm. they were using in order to be able to convict him. So they, yeah, they weren't afraid to move forward and just, you know, seek that justice. Yeah, so. so good for them. Yeah. Okay. So this case makes me think of the Taylor Swift song, No Body, No Crime. Do you know it? Yes, I have heard it actually. It's <laughs> a good one for all of you true crime fans. You should go listen to it. Go check it out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So seriously, though, the U.S. has only had about 400 no-body trials, but they are increasing. So with the technology that we now have with our phones and computers, investigators can really dig into a person's life. Yeah, we can, like, literally track each other with our phones. Our search histories on our computers really show everything that we're looking for, and it's used a lot in trials. Think about all the surveillance cameras that we have now. They're everywhere. Everywhere. I mean, it seems like, you know, I, at least in our neighborhood, every house has a ring doorbell. Looking out at the street in front of, you know, our homes. Let's even think about, like, credit card and debit receipts, ATM withdrawals. I mean... We are just tracked every movement, every every moment of our lives. Yeah. Our text conversations really document our friendships, our relationship with our partners, good days that we have, bad arguments. Everything is documented these days. Yeah. And like, have you noticed that you'll be talking about something and then all of a sudden you're going to be served ads about it's that? It's creepy. <laughs> That's my husband. That's what he does for his job. So... <laughs> So this is interesting, though. In Australia, just last year, they passed Lynn's Law. Um, convicted murderers cannot get parole unless they cooperate with law enforcement and reveal the location of their victim's remains. I think that's such a fantastic idea. Yeah, that's really cool that Australia has done that. Mm -hmm. um, so our condolences go out to Brad's family, his wife and kids. 
um, his friends, and the entire community of West Yellowstone. The investigators and the Montana Crime Lab did a fantastic job in this case. So until next time, keep keep your your hands clean. clean. Hey, thanks for listening. Thank you for supporting Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And please go follow us on our social medias. Um, We'd love to hear your comments, and we want you to see all the pictures and the sources that we've posted. Our Instagram and our Facebook, again, are Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. And our Twitter is RMRH Podcast. And don't forget to email us. Yes. Mel, what's that email? Our email is RockyMountainRedHanded at gmail.com. Yeah, send us your case recommendations from your local community. Have a great day. <laughs>